The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. There's a lot of judgment around all the decisions that women make about their careers and about childbearing. And I had so many people who were sort of appalled by how little leave I took the first time, and then a whole different class of people who were sort of horrified that I was, you know, giving up my career in their mind, even though to me I'm not giving up my career, I'm just pausing for a moment, um, the second time. And I think it's a lesson that you shouldn't try to win at other people's opinions. My advice for people is really, you know, you do what's right for you and you need to tune out all of the other voices that are telling you what mothers should be or what career women should be. Hello and welcome to The Hearing, a legal podcast where we have insightful conversations with interesting people connected to the law. I'm your host, Jennifer Thibodeau, and today I sit down with Hannah Gordon. Hannah is the senior advisor to the president of the San Francisco 49ers, which is an American football team. Now, I learned all about Hannah and her illustrious career when I read about her in the legal news. The coverage was all about her decision to leave her position as chief legal officer and transition to senior advisor following the birth of her second child. And I was immediately intrigued. In fact, you will hear me use the word curious a lot in this episode because I had so many questions, starting with what was the reason for her decision to change gears? How did she end up in this career? How did she climb the ranks at the team? And on top of all that, what is it like to be a woman working in men's professional sports? We talked about all of that, and along the way, Anna shared just great advice and nuggets and wisdom about networking and leadership as a lawyer. We also got to chat about her book, Season of Change, where Hannah basically acts as a coach, guiding the reader on how to win authentically in life. Overall, I got all of my questions answered and more. I learned a ton from Hannah, including that we are all athletes. So keep listening for more on that. And now my conversation with Hannah. The Hearing. Hi, Hannah, and welcome to The Hearing. Hey, Jennifer. Great to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have you on today because I have to confess, I am so curious to learn more about you and your career. I have never met a lawyer, or I guess anyone for that matter, who has spent time working in professional sports. And you've done exactly that for over 20 years, including the last 12 plus years with the San Francisco 49ers. And I'll pause here because we have a global audience. The San Francisco 49ers is an American football team. So Hannah, Let's start by hearing a little bit about what you're doing right now. Sure. Well, what I'm doing right now is staying home with my three-month-old son um, and my almost two-year-old daughter uh, and being a senior advisor to the president at the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so I'm sure we'll get into it more, but I decided to use this you know, childbirth and maternity leave to have more of a career pivot, um, you might say. And also take for our global audience a more humane, um, (laughs) European-style, Canadian-style, Australian-style maternity leave. Well, let me say congratulations on the birth of your son. I hope you and your family are well and that maybe you're getting a little bit of sleep. I am. I cannot complain. He's a pretty decent night sleeper. 
good. Glad to hear it. So let's jump right in then and talk a little bit about your decision to pivot at this point in your career, particularly since I know that you had a short maternity leave with the birth of your first child. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. um, So my daughter was born in 2021 during the pandemic when we were all working from home. Um, I'm somebody I've worked my whole life. I love working. um, And it was hard for me to imagine being away from work for a long period of time, especially because she was born in November. And the American football season um, is very much in full swing (laughs) in November. Uh, So I decided with her that I wanted to break up my 12 weeks of leave um, and six weeks of pregnancy disability leave and take that over the course of her first year of life. So I was actually only off for like two and a half weeks um, after she was born. And I worked up until I was on the delivery table at the hospital. And I liked it. It was great. But it was also great because... I was at home working with her so I could still physically be with her um, until she was about seven months old. Um, and I, and I nursed her till she was like eight and a half months. Um, so when I approached this maternity leave, I was thinking a lot about kind of what I wanted right now. Um, and you know, your life changes over time. I don't, I don't regret anything that I did with my first leave, but I did decide that I was at a point where I kind of wanted to make a career change anyways. I've been doing what I've been doing for so long. Um, and it seemed like the perfect moment to also get to stay home. Um, because now most of us, at least in the United States are in jobs where we do go into the office more. And I really did not want to do that. I wanted to be able to breastfeed longer. Um, and I actually, I recently had a man said to me, oh, but we have those rooms in offices, right? <laughs> and I said, no, sir, that is pumping. Pumping and breastfeeding are two very different experiences yes. for the mother. <laughs> I said, one of them is this beautiful bonding with my child. And the other one is feeling like I'm a cow in a factory. Oh, <laughs> Having yes. milk pumped out of me. So <laughs> I said, I was not interested in that. Um, so that's, that's really why I made the decision I made. And I'm very happy that I did. And I think, especially in our society, there's a lot of judgment around all the decisions that women make about their careers and about childbearing. And I had so many people who were sort of appalled by how little leave I took the first time. And then a whole different class of people who were sort of horrified that I was, you know, giving up my career in their mind, even though to me, I'm not giving up my career. I'm just pausing for a moment. Um, The second time, and I think it's a lesson that women can't win. And so you shouldn't try to win at other people's opinions. Everyone's going to think something different. You need to do what's right for you um, in in your own life and in your own happiness for the moment that you're in, which may change. Like for me, the decisions were very different for the first and second child. I'm still the same person. Um, and and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with decisions I've made. So that would be, you know, my advice for people is really, you know, you do what's right for you and you need to tune out all of the other voices that are telling you what mothers should be or what career women should be. Yeah, that word should can be pretty tough and such great advice there as how women just cannot seem to win. Your explanation there really suggests you have such a presence of mind and a true intentionality in decisions, whether it is motherhood or in your career. You said you've been doing this a long time, like we said, over 20 years in this field. So 
I'm wondering if this intentionality has been a hallmark of your career journey, starting with law school. Like, did you go to law school because you said, I want to do something in sports law? Or was there a different reason and motivation there? Yeah, no, I went into law school with a very clear vision in mind. So I decided when I was an undergraduate at UCLA that I wanted to work in sports. I had first fallen in love with sports as a homesick freshman, um, watching Lakers playoffs, watching Hannah Storm host the halftime show. Um, and it was not because of her name. It was just because she was witty and smart and had these, you know, fantastic, funny repartee with the other people out there. And I was like, wait, you can get paid to talk about sports. Like, how do I learn more about this career? Like, what do I need to major in? Um, and I ended up working for the UCLA Daily Bruin, which is a student paper there, which had a daily circulation of 50,000 people. Um, so it was really quite sizable. Um, and I started on the tennis beat my sophomore year and then covered football my junior and senior years. And covering football, I just fell in love with the sport and wanted to stay in it um, for a very <laughs> what turned out to be, you know, 20 plus years. Um, and from there, when I graduated, at that time, I was more interested in the media and PR side of sports. So I worked for the NFL Players Association, putting together website content for them. Then I worked at the University of California at Berkeley for their athletic department doing PR. And then I worked um, briefly at a sports agency. I left after I'd already applied to law school. And when I got into law school, I quit my job so I could get some more experience um, in the agency field because I thought at that point I wanted to be a sports agent. Um, and you know, this is one of those moments where it's so good to test out what you think you want to do. Um, because when I was there, I decided it was actually not what I was most interested in, that I wanted to spend potentially more time at, at a team. Um, and at that time, still more interested in the contract negotiation side of things. Um, so when I finished my internship there was when law school started for me at Stanford. Um, so I went into law school knowing that I wanted to work in sports um, and with a pretty clear picture that, you know, I'd like to work as a general counsel at a professional sports team, preferably an NFL team, um, or potentially the league office. And that's ultimately what happened for me, uh, both of those things. So there we have that kind of intentionality again, even though it seemed like you pivoted from media and PR, like you said, you, you ended up on this path to become a general counsel and, and you did it. I'm really curious to hear about whether you found yourself in all these rooms you've been in when it comes to professional sports, were you one of the only women in the room? And if so, what what was that like for you? Did you have any roadblocks, any imposter syndrome? Or maybe you'll say, oh, no, there were there were a lot of women there. Um, no, there were not a lot of women there. Um, but it's funny. I used to always say when I was the league office, sometimes I wouldn't be aware that I was the only woman until a woman walked in. And then you would realize how different she looked from everyone else. <laughs> you go, oh, that's me. Like, the, I'm, I'm the same, you know, I must look the same. Because you're not looking at yourself in the room, right? You see a room full of men and you, you sort of forget that you're not one of them, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know I can relate to that, sure. Um, and there are certainly experiences that would happen where you would be reminded um, that, you, that you were not one of them. Um, but for the most part, I was often, a, a, you know, a first only different, um, as, as Shonda Rhimes would say. And I found the experience really motivating. Um, I'm the type of person who always wants to, you know, excel, compete, prove people wrong. And so for me, it was a really motivating experience. Um, 
So I didn't, you know, certainly there were plenty of roadblocks, but that always just pushed me further. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those roadblocks? It seems like you are so determined, right? You said you love to work. What is it about you or what caused you to actually just push through them in your career? You know, I always find that question so difficult because I think some of that is just what you're born with. Like, it's just your personality. Um, And, you know, certainly resilience can be developed, but I think that there's a certain level of drive that, you know, everyone has like different like gifts and, and personality traits that they're just inherently born with. And that's just what I'm inherently born with is, um, is drive and, and being a competitor and being committed to being excellent at what I do. Um, so, I mean, an example of a roadblock, I worked for someone who did not like me. Um, and for a long time, I kept trying to please him and, and to get him to like me. And I remember one of my aunts actually was the one who said to me, she was like, that man is never going to like you. You need to make tracks on that man's back. Like, st- stop. Like, just like, you need to go on. And um, and it took me a while to realize that she was actually right. That And, and what finally made me realize that she was right was he made a comment to me because I finally had confronted him after his boss told me I needed to confront him. Um he had come to me and he said, you know, this person's leaving you out and we've done what we can. Like, you need to go have a conversation with him. And I remember I got so teary eyed and he said, there's no crying in football. (laughs) Um, And and then I started laughing because I was like, are we in a league of their own? Are you Tom Hanks? Like, this is hilarious. Totally. Um, Yeah. It was such a funny moment. But then I went and confronted this man and said, you know, you don't, you don't include me in meetings. And he said, this is not the Oprah show. I'm not here to entertain you. And that's when I realized like, oh, okay, got it. Like this, <laughs> this is never going to get better. Um, you are who you are. Um, and I need to just move on. Um, and I did. And what, you know, sometimes life falls into place for you. And I think I had that like rock bottom moment there with him. And then not long after that, I got a phone call from Parag Marate who is the EVP of football operations and president of 49ers Enterprises at the 49ers. Um, and he'd gotten to know my work because he was also, he was a Stanford business grad who'd come to speak at classes that I'd taken there. I'd sent him uh, academic articles that I'd written. And he knew me uh, from my work at the league um, because of the league office, we were always working with the teams. And he asked me in an interview for a new role they were creating at the San Francisco 49ers. Um, so, you know, sometimes I think everything falls into place, but it's also because you're in a a mindset where you're open to it and you're ready to move forward. That's such a great story from the fact that you were able to find a little bit of humor in the whole, a league of their own, you know, story. And the fact that you, you know, it sounded like you cried and that you showed some vulnerability there, but also the fact that this person's boss sounds like a man then said Mm -hmm. to you, Hey, you need to know that this person is leaving you out and that you have the guts to actually confront him. I also want to just pause to note, you said you had sent this person who uh, reached out to you for this new position, your academic articles. So again, I get this sense that you, you're you driven, you have this intentionality in what you want to do, and perhaps had started to recognize or already recognize the importance of, of networking and fostering mm-hmm. relationships like that. 
Yeah, I mean, sports, probably every industry, but sports is the one that I spent my whole career in. It's a very people-based business. It's a it's a small industry, especially if you're looking at just like one piece of it, like one league, one professional league like the NFL. Um, and so it, it really is a community and it's a community of people. And so I think sometimes networking gets a, a bad rap as something that's sort of um, driven for the wrong reasons or selfish. And to me, it's just like having relationships with other people. Like I want to help other people and someday, you know, somebody may help me too. And that's just a positive way of having a community. It's not, um, it's not about like, what can somebody do for me? Yeah, I think that's the right mindset. It's obviously served you well. The Hearing. You're an attorney with a passion to perform, a drive to be absolutely on your game. With superior resources, serious preparation, and total confidence. Be your best with Thomson Reuters Practical Law. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. So Hannah, let's change gears a little bit because you've held positions with the 49ers you know, from Director of Legal Affairs to General Counsel to Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel, Chief Legal and Administrative Officer. And I am so curious to hear about, as a lawyer, what that really means, like what, what your responsibilities were, the type of legal issues that you were handling. I mean, I am by no means an expert in football, but I can think of collective bargaining, labor issues, cannabis, social justice issues, you know, Taylor Swift's dating life. Like, There's so many things that might come up. Talk to us about that. Sure. Um, I love being a lawyer at a team because you get to be a true generalist. You get to be involved in every different possible practice area. Um, when people talk about sports law, it's not a practice area, it's an industry, and it's an industry that almost every practice area touches, right? So you're going to have some litigation, you're going to have some corporate work, you're going to have, like you said, labor, collective bargaining, employment law, uh, real estate work, you know, we built a stadium, like there's tons of land use work, there's vendor agreements, there's so there's so much Um it covers truly everything. And that's what I like is the variety of the work. Um, I think that to me is what made it really fun. What were some of the things that you're, you're most proud of in your career there, or maybe things that you found the most fun over your tenure? Yeah, I would say building Levi stadium is one of the things that was, um, most fun, most challenging and that I feel most proud of. I think there's only, certain things as lawyers that where we get to have like a tangible outcome. Um, and to be able to look at that building and know that you played a role in, in having it come to be. And it's not just like a steel structure, right? So like, I remember I actually got teary eyed the first time I saw fans come into the building for the first game, because it was different than just seeing a building standing there. It becomes a place where people are going to make memories that they'll have for their whole life, right? That they'll be like, oh, I, you know, my dad took me to this, you know, game and they remember it 50 years later. So like 
participating in something like that, that's such a group effort, and that then touches the lives of thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, you know, every week, and over time, millions of people over the, you know, 40 plus year life of a building, that was special. And I'm sure you probably could never have fathomed that that would be the case when you were just on the beat covering sports, right at the college newspaper. Wow. And that's incredible. Yeah, it's been a really fun ride. So I'm curious, you know, you held these positions. Did you oversee a legal team internally? Were you working with outside counsel? Kind of what is what is that like being a, such a senior lawyer at an organization? Sure. Um, so both. Um, we had outside counsel always um, since before I got there. So I got to know the outside counsel we already had. Um, over time, I did make some changes um, to the folks that we used. We used multiple different law firms for different um, areas of expertise. And then I also built a legal team over time. So when I first got there, it was just me. Um, and then I think by the time I left 12 years later, because the business had become more complex, we had more companies. Uh, we were running a stadium. We had a, a small team of about uh, four lawyers who reported to me, plus a risk management department. And then I'd also take on, on other non-legal roles at that point in non-legal departments. So you said that you, you built your team and obviously you were overseeing a lot of people. I think that management can be very difficult for lawyers. You know, I've spent my career, you know, well, six years of practical law, but over a decade at a law firm. And I can definitely say that lawyers are not great managers. So what advice do you have about lawyers who find themselves in these leadership and, and management roles as, as you have uh, to actually be successful? Yeah. So I do think that's an area where law schools could really um, add to the curriculum. I think managing other people, unless you're going to be a sole practitioner, um, is something that every lawyer is probably going to need to do over the course of their career, whether they work at a law firm or in-house. And most people don't get prepared for it the way that you might if you went to business school and you took classes on organizational management. And so I would love to see more of that in law schools um, because I don't think that lawyers are inherently any better or worse than any other profession necessarily. Um, but Oftentimes people aren't prepared for it or their personalities might not be suited to it. Um, I, I remember that when I was in law school at Stanford, the woman who was the career advisor was fantastic and a very funny woman. She spoke to everyone when we were all interviewing for law firms. And she said, you know, all of you are here at Stanford Law School. You're all, you know, cream of the crop, smartest kids in the world. She's like, where you really differentiate yourselves, though, from each other is your people skills. <laughs> um, and she was like, some of you have them and some of you don't. Um, and it was very true. And, and I do think that I made it, it to the places that I did in my career because of my people skills. You know, yes, I'm a good lawyer, but it's really those soft skills and that bedside manner and the way that you manage clients, internal or external, the way that you manage teams and people that you lead um, that is going to, you know, push your career, um, especially if you want to work, you know, in-house in an industry, um, further. And, and in terms of tips for people, I think just the awareness, first of all, that you, if you are already managing people like self-awareness around, how am I doing that? How are they feeling about it? What are their styles? What do they need out of a leader and a manager? Um, 
And it's also all contextual. So when people say like someone quote unquote is a leader, I don't think that that's, I don't think that people are like, oh, this person's a leader, this person's not. Because leadership is fact specific, just like sort of employment law is fact specific, right? Like, who are you leading and what are you leading them towards? So anyone could be a leader at any particular moment. It's really about the people that you're leading and what is it that you're achieving, helping them achieve, right? What is it that you're collectively reaching as a goal? It could be winning a case. It could be getting a deal done. And so really like understanding your people, having a love for people, you know, I, you know, I always think like if there's some, you know, misanthropes out there and like, you know what, maybe that's not for you. (laughs) Maybe you would enjoy being a sole practitioner. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that there's roles for everyone in the world to use their skills. And if something's not something that you like, if people management's not something you like, like, then let's find something that you, that you do like, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Such sage practical advice I wrote down, you know, who are you leading and what are you leading them to? That is great advice. And your emphasis there on soft skills and people skills really reminds me of what you were saying about building relationships, particularly in an industry like yours that is so small. You mentioned, Hannah, this um, career advisor that imparted some advice that obviously had stuck with you about people skills. It makes me wonder if you've received other advice along the way, or perhaps had a mentor that had a lasting impression on you as you've been on this journey over the past 20 years? I've had so many mentors. And I I think that actually the law is a wonderful profession for that because um, there is so much teaching that happens, uh, especially for, for young lawyers, but more experienced lawyers, depending where you are. And that happened for me at, you know, at the 49ers with Patty Inglis, who was the general counsel of the family company, at the National Football League with Ed Ty and Buck Briggs and others at Aiken Gump with Dan Nash and Stacey Eisenstein. Um, I will say in terms of those soft skills, one of the sage pieces of advice that I received from Anastasia Daniel Schmidt, who was um, a, a lawyer not in the area that I was in, um, but really became a friend and a mentor to me. And she's now the general counsel of, the major, of major league soccer um, here in the United States. She said, I was, I was struggling with something at work and, uh, she said, no one wants to hear your problems, bring the solution. And it was such good advice. And it was like the tough love that I needed that it's like, stop complaining, figure out what is it that you want out of this situation and how can you get it? How can you go to your boss? And instead of saying like, Oh, you know, here's a problem. What do I do? Say, Hey, there's a problem. I've come up with three solutions. Which one do you think that we should do it and gear them towards the one that you want the most? Um, so for me, that was like, I don't even remember what the thing was that I was complaining about. But I remember the advice because it was so applicable to every single issue that you might have later on. That really is such tremendous advice. And as I think about it, it makes a lot of sense. I'm wondering if you ever found it difficult to implement in the moment, right? You probably had some really serious, you know, maybe high profile or <laughs> you're smiling kind of issues that you had to deal with. How did you kind of get past if you ever had that? I know I should be dealing in solutions right now, but I feel like I'm going to freak out moment. You know, I actually never get that about actual legal problems. Like I feel like the the work is never the hard part. It's always like drama or like people problems that that usually people struggle with. Um, 
and and that require like more creative <laughs> solutions um because to me any legal problem is a game it's a puzzle it's like okay like if we take path a what happens to path b all right risk analysis like here's my recommendations like to me like that's that part is just fun now that makes a lot of sense so as we're talking about you know legal puzzles and whatnot I really think it's a great time to ask you about this book that you've written, Season of Change. I had the opportunity to read it. It is so practical and so helpful. So what this really is, is this guided journal uh, where you act as a coach helping the reader through eight weeks of vision setting and, and game planning to win authentically at life. Can you tell us about your your motivation for writing this book and, and using the game of football to impart these lessons. Absolutely. I mean, the game of football has given me so much and taught me so many life lessons. And I was speaking to so many, you know, young lawyers, young professionals, and, and even frankly, seasoned lawyers and seasoned professionals who are asking, okay, I'd love to get where you are, or I'd love to get to, you know, this other dream that I have, like, how did you do it? What do I need to do? And I wanted to give everyone something that's really, like you said, practical and useful. Um, I think we all hear a lot of inspirational speeches and we go, oh, that was cool. And then a week later, we haven't done anything with the information. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving people habits that they could build easily, like in five minutes a day and do for long enough for eight weeks so that by the time they're done, they've actually changed the way that they, like you said, think through problems, approach solutions. And done it in a way that's fun um, and that's going to stick with them. So it's really all about that type of habit building, whether it's the gratitude practice, the focus practice, the affirmations, um, or like you said, kind of moving through the life lessons that I learned from football, from vision to game planning, watching your own film. Um, so that was the inspiration for the book. So the book on the front cover also says it's the competitor's playbook for joy on the path to victory. And I really wanted to ask you about that, particularly as a lawyer who, and I'll be very honest here, I am someone who did not really focus on the joy, on the path to victory. I think that is a fairly common lawyer trait. You want to, you know, collect your gold stars, reach for the brass ring and, and achieve, 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 and sometimes push down joy or put that on the back burner. Can you talk a little bit about your emphasis here on joy to the path to victory? Yes. I mean, I don't think there's there's no point if you're not enjoying it, right? Like, why are, why are we reaching for the brass ring if you're not enjoying the path there? Because if you're always feeling like, I, if I had this, I would be happy, then even when you get it, it never really satisfies you. Um, so to me, it's really important that like, yes, I'm preparing you for success, but more than that, I'm preparing you for enjoying your life for happiness for for taking pleasure in the process and not just in the outcome it seems clear from speaking to you and, and I can see you right now I know our listeners can't that you really have loved your career thus far so I'm curious if joy has always been front and center for you or was this something that you you really had to learn on your path no I mean for me I think because I've worked in or did work in football really from the time I was in college, there was no, um, it wasn't like I was trying to get somewhere and not enjoying where I was. Like when I look back, like some of the best times in my life were when I was in college covering UCLA football. Some of the most fun times were when I was an intern for the Raiders in PR and, you know, getting my hands dirty every day at the copy machine. So like 
I, I didn't have to get somewhere in order to enjoy it because I was having fun the whole time. And this reminds me, I was going to ask you, but you kind of answered the question. If you were a little kid who always loved sports, you know, if you were a football fan from age five or, you know, that was part of your reason in going to law school. So it is really cool to, to hear that you kind of came to football a bit later in life and have loved it so much. Hannah, you mentioned some of the lessons that are in the the weeks throughout this journal, like the film study, vision, game plan, evaluating your team, reading the clips, making in-game adjustments, recovery and practice. And as I was working through this, I realized that for lawyers in particular, some of these lessons might be easier than others, like making in-game adjustments. If you've been in the trenches as a lawyer, you're agile. You're responding to new information. It's a huge part of what you do. Recovery, not so much. So what advice do you have for someone reading this who might think, oh, I could skip a week or that's not as important as a piece of the puzzle as the rest? Yeah. So recovery is one of my favorite chapters and one of my favorite things in life. And I've learned so much from all the human performance specialists that I've had the pleasure of being around in professional sports um, and in college sports as well. And I cannot emphasize enough that like you are a corporate athlete, like you lawyer are not going to do your best work if you are not sleeping, if you are not getting the right nutrition, if you are not taking care of your body and moving. And unfortunately, we do live in a society where a lot of people, there is this um, kind of glamorization of workaholism where people actually brag about like how little sleep they're getting. Like, oh, you know, it's this sort of like, look at me, like I only slept four hours um, and, it's, and I'm like, well, A, I don't feel sorry for you. And B, I'm not impressed. Like, that's a terrible thing to do to your body. That will have long-term ramifications. Like, that's your choice if you want to do that. Um, but I'm like, hey, I'm trying to sleep for eight and a half hours a night because I know that's what my body needs. Um, so I would really emphasize to people, like, don't skip recovery um, because every, every, everyone has a body. And so everyone is an athlete, as Nike would say. Like, you're a corporate athlete maybe and not a professional athlete. but you need to take care of your body so it will take care of you. I love that corporate athlete line. I, I like to work out, but I've never considered myself an athlete until now. So I'm glad to hear that. It's clear that, you know, this this guided journal on vision setting is obviously inspired by your time in sports. And as you're talking, I'm realizing you have gotten to spend time around best in class world athletes, watching what they do, watching their drive and their practice and their success. Are there any other lessons that you've learned from being in such company that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, I think it is always inspiring to watch people who are the best at their craft in the world um, and watch their preparation, watch the way that they um, approach things. I will say there's um, two things that used to be up on walls um, around, you know, training facilities that I really liked. One and it's a common saying, people say it outside of sports too, but iron sharpens iron. Um, and so I think you see that with professional athletes that competing against the best, you know, helps you be the best and surrounding yourself. So, you know, there's a chapter in the book about like your team. And I really do think, you know, who we surround ourselves with um, is something that's really impactful. 
um, as a lesson there. And then secondly, um, there was something on the wall, uh, kind of a little acronym on the wall, WIN, um, this is Kyle Shanahan's acronym, WIN, what's important now. And in the book, I talk a lot about, you know, setting a daily focus. And I do think, you know, that question of what's important now is a great prioritization tool. Um, so that's another uh, little tidbit that I'd take from sports to share with people. Such great advice. Now, we started out this conversation talking about how you've kind of had this pause and this time to pivot. So I'm curious to hear what's next for you or what is something that you haven't done yet that you really hope that you can do in your career? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is a really open question right now. That's part of why I took this time is to figure out exactly what I want to do next. I think, you know, unfortunately we, we only get one life to live and I'm like, I could live like 35 different lives. There are so many, you know, fun things to do in the world. And I think it's important to keep that mindset um, because there's so much optionality um, and to be open that there's not just one thing that could satisfy you. Um, so for me, like there is a curiosity about things outside of sports. Um, certainly like one thing that I thought about for a long time is, you know, being a, a president of a sports team. Um, but also, you know, exploring, like working for myself, like those are all things that I'm kind of thinking about as I take this time with my kids. Um, and that I probably thought I would have more time to think about, but, but kids will take up your whole day and then you'll realize like what just happened. today. <laughs> Oh, yes. Well, the days are long, the years are short and all yes. of that, right? It's, yes. It is difficult. So are you in your position as senior advisor through the end of the, the season? Yes, I am. Well, Hannah, this has been such a fun conversation. Like I said, I've learned so much. I was so curious to learn more about you. And I feel like it's been a bit of a masterclass in leadership and in lawyering. So thank you so much for being here. And we will be watching to see your next move. Thank you, Jennifer. The Hearing. I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Hannah as much as we enjoyed recording it. Before you go, though, please consider leaving us a review. It really does help. And think about subscribing to the podcast. This way you'll be notified when our latest episodes drop. We'd also love to hear your thoughts, feedback, and ideas for future guests. So drop us a line at thehearing at tr.com. That's thehearing at tr.com. Until next time. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.